Lord Jesus, the one thing that we would ask is that we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, hide us under the shadow of your wing, uh, for we are weak, uh, but you are strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, St. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, has turned a corner here in chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, You heard me preach two Sundays ago about the legalists who were trying to add something to the gospel that simple faith in Jesus Christ, in his uh, life, death, and resurrection, was simply not enough uh, to gain fellowship with God, to enter into a personal relationship with him. But in fact, you had to do something on top of that. Uh, God has done his part. Now it's up to you to do yours. And we give that a lot of airplay around here. Uh, But this morning, Paul has turned his attention away from the legalists. And he now places it upon the libertines. Those who believe that it made no difference whatsoever how you lived your life. In Christ, you are free from the law, so feel free to pursue the desires of your heart. For it is in the fulfillment of those desires that you will find peace and happiness in life. This was often the accusation at the time of the Reformation that uh, preaching the gospel sounded too, like it gave too much license uh, to people. It was abusing God's grace, but Martin Luther said rightly, a Christian is perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. But a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject of all, subject to all. Now, if we held only the first part of Luther's maxim, it would be right to say that that does undermine the gospel because Like the legalist, ironically, it teaches that you can find fulfillment apart from Christ. And like the legalist, that there is something that you can do to find salvation. In the Greek world, there was a large group called the hedonists. And they thought that the satisfaction of the desires of the body, if you could do that, that was the end all-be-all of life. And yet within the the hedonist group, uh, there was a group called the Epicureans. And they didn't seek out self-indulgence, but in their lives, they sought to avoid the prospect of pain. But in fact, a simple life, a life focused on hard work and a right ordering of things, that was the key to happiness. Position yourself in life so that you can avoid pain. Well, that's not all that different from many of us today. Functionally, I am an Epicurean. And I know that the manifestations in my public life, my behavior, are symptomatic of a spiritual and emotional struggle that I have. I don't want to hurt. That's why we have helicopter parents. Why? Because they care. They don't want to see their children get hurt. They want to see their children make the right decisions in life. My grandfather 
lived in a wonderful house back in Virginia, and uh, his Epicureanism uh, came through most loudly uh, when he would talk about the house he lived in. It was a very old house that had some historical significance. And so when guests would come over, my grandfather's insecurities and not wanting to be thought less of came through in talking about the house, and he would say, so-and-so stayed in this bedroom from famous past, and uh, no one famous recently has ever stayed there, Uh, but uh, so-and-so dined here, and and so forth, and my grandmother had finally had enough of it. And so to bring him down a notch, she had a plaque made and mounted it on the house, and it read. It's a very nice bronze plaque. You can go see it today. And it says, on this site in 1897, nothing happened. (laughs) Well, all these projections... Uh, all these wanting to avoid pain. Lewis, C.S. Lewis was right when he said, if you want to avoid pain in life, just don't love. Just don't love. If you want an absence of pain, if you actually want to live a life pain-free, just make sure you don't love and that you don't allow yourself to be loved. Now, most of us don't see ourselves as hedonists. But most of us are Epicureans. We don't see ourselves as licentious, but many of us do live our lives in such a way as to avoid any sort of pain. And Paul writes to us this morning, speaking of those who would encourage us to seek out to fulfill our own desires. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But for us, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be more like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As I get older, I realize that, um, and a lot of you are saying, you are not old at all. And yet, uh, gravity is not anybody's friend. And uh, as I do get older, I I realize uh, this stigma in our culture about growing old. No one wants to grow old, and we will go to great lengths uh, to stay young. I am a part of a large segment of our population where I look at myself in the mirror and I think, I need a little work done. I was surprised to hear that the plastic surgery capital of the world is South Korea. One in five women, one in five women, 20% of the women in South Korea has undergone some kind of surgical procedure. The most popular procedure by far is to make their eyes look more Western. I read in the LA Times that younger people are turning to plastic surgery, people in their 20s and 30s, not simply to improve anything, but because they want to look like they have had plastic surgery. The media has dubbed this phenomenon rich face. For them, it's about class. It's about status. Now, the great irony here is that so many South Koreans are trying to look Western while we in America are trying to be something different from what they're striving toward. We're creating a new ideal 
a different idea of beauty, which is fluctuating and fleeting in our culture. I was surprised to find out, this was actually a very fun sermon to research, I was startled to find out that Marilyn Monroe, if she were wearing clothes from today, would have been between a size 8 and a size 10. And none of us are immune from it. I went to the dermatologist recently, and while I'm sitting there uh, in the, the waiting room for the doctor to come in, I, I, had, I was reading through the brochures, and there was one on cold sculpting. Do you know what this is? It's a miracle. So uh, what cold sculpting is, is it actually, you know, knives are extreme, but I could do cold sculpting. And what it is is they freeze your fat cells, and your body takes care of them naturally. And I'm looking at the before and after photos, and I'm convinced that some of them are of me. And I'm thinking, this, this is what I need. Uh, cold sculpting. Get rid of uh, my love handles. And I know that it won't bring me fulfillment in life, but it'll mean less pain. Because I'll feel just a little bit better about myself. But you know, what the Bible says is that growing old is a blessing from God. Paul himself talks about the responsibility of elders to pass on wisdom and the necessity of having people come alongside you, especially if you're younger, uh, to pass on that wisdom and to shepherd and to impart knowledge and fact. In the book of the prophet Joel, right out of the gate, the first chapter, Joel writes this, Hear this, you elders, listen, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell your children about it and let your children tell their children and their children the next generation. Growing old is a sign of maturity and life is complicated and whether we like it or not, it's racked with pain. I was talking to a friend recently uh, about this, and he was saying that his wife uh, had five children. God bless her. It's not anybody in this congregation. Uh, And uh, she was really worried about uh, the stretch marks that she had developed uh, on her side from carrying these five children. And uh, and the husband did the right thing and said, you know, you're beautiful to me, all the right things. Uh, But the thing that he said that really stuck with me the most is he said, you know, for those to be removed are to remove the very signs of life that you have given our children. When he said that, it immediately made me think of Jesus in his resurrection body. Uh, These windows uh, are my three favorite uh, in the church here. And we see Jesus on the cross. We see him raised from the dead. And we see him ascend into heaven. And Jesus' body was not like our body, but this was his resurrected body, his glorified body. And yet, as he ascends into heaven, what do you see? Scars. The very signs of life that we have been given, that have been wrought by those scars, those wounds. What if Jesus said, these things surely are an eyesore, and they are, but had them removed? The prophet Isaiah tells us he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The very shame of the world 
that which needs to be fixed is the very glory of our Lord and Savior. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Christ wears these scars in his body in heaven as his ornaments. The wounds of Christ are his glories. They are his jewels and his precious things. To the eye of the believer, Christ is never so glorious, never so passing fair as when we can say of him, my beloved is white and ruddy, white with innocence and ruddy with his own blood. He never seems so beautiful as when he as when he can see as we can see him as the rose and the lily as the lily matchless purity and as the rose crimson with its own gore we may talk of Christ in his beauty in diverse places raising the dead and stilling the tempest but oh there was never such a matchless Christ as he that did hang upon the cross there i behold all his beauties all his attributes developed, all his love drawn out, all his character expressed in ledgers, letters so legible that even my poor stammering heart can read all those lines and speak them out again as I see them written in crimson upon the bloody tree. If the wounds had been removed, we might have forgotten that there was a sacrifice. And then we might have forgotten that there was a priest. But the wounds are there. Then there is a sacrifice. And there is also a priest. For he who is wounded is both himself the sacrifice and great high priest. His scars remind us that his suffering is absolutely necessary. It may be this morning that you have heard me and you're feeling a little bit self-righteous that you do not struggle with your own mortality and your own image. I would argue that you do, but it does not manifest itself so publicly. You are not at the gym, but you are somewhere seeking that which will leave you lacking. I feel what St. Paul is saying through tears. What does he tell us? He says, we await a savior in heaven for our citizenship is there. He points our eyes toward him, but our bodies cry out. The whole creation cries out and longs to be transformed and different. Who will rescue us from this body of death? And we're not just talking about the internal angst. We're talking about our physical appearance as well. Someone once said, what doesn't kill you? Only delays the inevitable. And so we await him. Whether he comes back again to rule in equity or whether we go to him in our own deaths. But when we are given a glorified body, when we are made to be like him, what will our glorified bodies be like? Will they look cold sculpted? Will they look like us in our prime no. Our idea of beauty is not what we are going to be, for that idea is far too small. I'm grateful that in Revelation we find out that we will be clothed. C.S. Lewis says we all look better with our clothes on, and he is right. But it will be eaten redeemed, the curse will be reversed. That we will be like Adam and Eve and that we will walk in fellowship with God without shame. 
Our bodies will be redeemed no matter how marred in appearance they may be. Paul concludes with, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. You are not objects of ridicule or embarrassment. St. Paul says that we who believe are his very joy and crown. If we are that for St. Paul, how much more are we to the Lord Jesus? And yes, this life does hurt. And no matter how we arrange our lives, there's no way that we can avoid pain. Reminders of it are all around us because of our fallenness. And yet we await and look for the one who will come and save us and redeem us, Jesus Christ. And on that day, we can echo the words of the great hymn writer Charles Wesley who wrote and that we sing, the dear tokens of his passion, still his dazzling body bears, calls of endless exultation to his ransomed worshipers. With what rapture, with what rapture, with what rapture gaze we on those glorious scars. Amen.